Hey guys, it's Trevor here, uh, co-host of Ghost Party Radio. Um, before we get started on this uh, very fun episode on Jack Arnold's Creature from the Black Lagoon, I wanted to take a moment to... you. Uh, I'm sorry, it's tough for me. I give a eulogy, I guess, of sorts to an, a Los Angeles institution uh, that just announced yesterday that they will be shuttering their doors. Of course, I'm talking about the... Arc light cinemas uh, all around and the Pacific uh, cinemas. I know the ones at the Grove and um, I, 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 I love the arc light, uh, specifically the Cinerama Dome. And it was extremely hard to hear. Uh, I have some amazing memories, specifically at the Dome, uh, of seeing The Master on 70 millimeter opening day with Bong Joon Ho and Quentin Tarantino were there and. Jody Foster, I saw in the parking lot, tried to steal my spot while we were parking, and um, just so many great Inherent Vice opening day. I saw La La Land opening weekend, and uh, was the first one out of the theater, so I could go cry in there. Beautiful, beautiful bathrooms. I, I saw Destroyer, Karen Kusama's Destroyer there with a Nicole Kidman Q&A. I saw David Gordon Green's Halloween remake opening night, just um, could go on and on. Uh, just some, so many amazing movies that I saw there. Just a great, great venue. Um, uh, you know, it will be missed, and hopefully somebody will pick it up. Um, Adam, do you have any um, Arclight Dome memories? Uh, no, not really. Actually, I've never been to the Cinerama Dome. I I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> Welcome everyone to episode number 20 of Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of genre film, hosted by two small-time cowards. I'm Adam Cervantes-Wagner, and allow me to introduce my co-host, Creature from the Costa Mesa Lagoon, it's Trevor Dillon. All right. I was expecting many, many things, uh, but Costa Mesa was the laziest joke I would have thought of in that situation. <laughs> Yeah, I had I wasn't really thinking ahead here, but you know, the the fun part is that it's true too. It's funny and true. Up from the depths of Orange County, the scariest place on the planet. That's right. Uh, especially if you live in Huntington Beach. Oh boy, let's not talk about that. Let's, let's stick something else that's more topical. Uh, our cold open, of course, we were talking about the Cinerama Dome. Adam's never been in the Cinerama Dome. I've been there many, many times. I forgot to mention a few things. I saw Children of Men there, Adam, as a repertory screening, as a, a, a series that they were doing, where they would play a movie, then have a Q&A afterwards with someone completely unrelated to the movie. So uh, do you want to give a guess of who came out afterwards to do the Q&A for Children of Men? Uh, Ryan Johnson. No, that's a really, really good guess. Ryan Johnson seems to always pop up. Uh, in different places. I'll give you one more guess. It was a director. It was a white male director, of course. Edgar Wright. No, wow. Those are two really, really good guesses. No, it was the um, the late, great Wes Craven, director, of course, of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street and the Scream series and stuff like that. He uh, oh, okay. About seven months before he passed away, he came out and did a, a Q&A, and I was like, Wes Craven, this is so cool, but like, why Children of Men? And he was just like, I, I, just, I just love this movie. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've never been to the Cinerama Dome, but I have gone to... Arclight Hollywood a good number of times. I've seen movies like Frank, Silence, Blackfish there. Uh, I was I was always bummed that they never had 
Dr. Pepper, and I don't want to say that's the reason that they went under, but, you know, it's something to think about. Um, but my biggest story is probably that I went to go see Short Term 12 there when it had first come out. And uh, after the screening, the director came out and kind of surprised us. And he was like, hey, everybody, you know, thanks for checking out my film. We just wanted to come and say hi. Uh, I'm here with two actors from the movie. And one of the actors was, before he was big, Lakeith Stanfield. Ah, yes. Known as Keith Stanfield at that time. Yeah. Um, so... I, I thought you were doing a bit because I saw Short Term 12 their opening night. And I was supposed to go to a, a concert down the street at the Palladium afterwards. And mm-hmm. I was so bummed out by Short Term 12 that I just went straight home. I just skipped the concert. What was the concert? Uh, oh, God. It was for like an EDM group called Cruella. I believe they got nice. canceled. They're not around anymore. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you, but you didn't see, uh, you didn't get to do a and a thing. No, Daniel Destin Cretton did not come out and do a, a q and I've, I've seen Fury Road. Outside of the Dome, I've seen Fury Road with George Miller there. I saw Never Let Me Go early on there. Um, it's just sad. You know, I think it's going to, I think the Cinerama Dome especially is going to get picked up by somebody, whether it's like Amazon or something, who's going to use it as their premiere spot so they can have Oscars eligibility on the West Coast and stuff like that. Um, but where oh. else am I going to go to see, you know, um, Emma Stone hanging out with um, Andrew Garfield when he had his Martin Scorsese silence hair? Do you remember, do you know, do you remember what he looked like in that movie, Silence? Yeah, yeah. He had this like really long black hair and he looked like he looked like for Andrew Garfield. It's pretty hard, but he looked pretty bad. And he was with Emma Stone. I saw them and like it was always fun going to the Arclight and me and my buddies would always say like what like B grade celebrity am I going to see? And every time you'd go, you'd see like Bill Pullman or like someone really cool. where You're like, oh, that's such an awesome sighting to see Bill Pullman. And then every once in a while, you'd see like a Lena Dunham or something. And you'd be like, oh, I got a bad one this time. Um, Yeah, I remember seeing a a few famous people out there Uh, But I mean, there's no way that if somehow the Cinerama Dome falls through the fingers of like big production companies There's no way that Tarantino doesn't pick it up, right? People talk about and I'm gonna talk my my s word on this podcast today And I know our guest is sitting here. We never talk this much at the beginning of the show. Sorry to our guest, but um Tarantino's in Tel Aviv. He's been Tel Aviv the entire pandemic. He he has the new Beverly, and people who like continue to say like, "Oh, Tarantino's like it's like it's not his job to pick up every theater in LA that's going to go under." You know what I mean? Like he also has let go of his entire front of house staff at the at the new Beverly during the pandemic. So it seems like he can't handle one theater, let alone the Cinerama Dome. So I hope it falls into the hands of people who are throwing around like Nolan or Ryan Johnson or someone, just someone who. Like, you know, it'd be really cool if Nolan picked it up. Uh, and I, I think we're somewhat Nolan fans on this on this uh, podcast. But I think it'd be cool because he, like, almost killed movies with Tenet. And then he could, like, really have a nice comeback in the eyes of a lot of people by buying the Cinerama Dome. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that happening. Um, but, I mean, it's not unreasonable. The new Beverly, I mean, you and I have visited frequently. And it was doing pretty well, it seemed like. No, the, the new Beverly is, is awesome and does really well. I'm just saying that he like seems to have no real interest in like fully running it. So other there are people in Hollywood who have money that aren't Quentin Tarantino. I just thought it was funny that his name came up first where I was like, there's a lot of people that can buy the Cinerama Dome. I think it would be fun because the Cinerama Dome screwed him over uh, so much with the hateful exactly. eight. Did you ever hear that stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. went on Howard Stern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you like to listen to Howard Stern. You're a, you're a loyal Howard Stern listener. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's my inspiration for the podcast. It, it, yeah, totally. As you can see, I said the word S word earlier. It was definitely the same as Howard Stern. Um, no, yeah, I, I think that um, that would be a, a cool revenge story. But um, my, my favorite would be if Ryan Johnson used some of that Knives Out 2 and 3 money and uh, and bought the dome because he, he seems to be like the nicest guy in Hollywood. And I just... I would love to see him continue his The Last Jedi revenge tour of just like everyone like half having to like him for everything that he does because it just rules so hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. I'm sure at some point we're going to be talking about who ended up picking up uh, the Cinerama Dome. But until we get there, let's talk about a, a very special movie that we have today. Before we get to that, though, Trevor, do we have any uh, listener reviews? Yes, we do, Adam. Let me read one for you. This review comes from listener DJ Johnny Quest, and the title is, I guess I have this podcast on repeat. Uh, They give us five stars. Yes. And they say, Adam thinks everything is interesting, and Trevor always has the same score as the guest that he swears he wrote down beforehand. I don't believe it. I've tried to ghost this podcast, but it just keeps popping up in my feed late at night asking you up, and I am. Let's do this. Five stars. Hmm, that's a very, very nice review from DJ Johnny Quest. Almost as if they didn't understand the idea of a roast. Intriguing, certainly. Hmm. Yeah, Adam, you do think that everything's interesting. You're, you need to open up a, thor- a thesaurus, my friend. I'm I just trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> no, I'm not saying you think everything I say is interesting. I'm saying you think that everything is interesting. Yeah, I know, but I know that you're also, uh, you need reassurance. Uh, forget. <laughs> yeah, open up that thesaurus and learn how to say the word reassurance. <laughs> okay. All uh, right. Well, thanks, DJ Johnny Quest, whoever you are. Um, yeah, I do upload these uh, just after midnight on Friday. So uh, he's probably staying up late or she. Or them? I love our listeners, Adam. I love the ghost partiers out there. They, they can't even properly roast us. But dang it, Adam, let's get to our guests. No more talking at the top of the show. We almost never do this. You're right. We've got a very special guest on today. Um, a freelance writer and reporter with Latin Heat Entertainment and Latin Horror. I'd like to introduce Justina Bonilla. Justina, how are you doing? Thank you guys for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, we are very excited to have you and uh, have your very special pick. But before we get to that, um, Justina, what is your favorite genre of film? Okay, that's really hard <laughs> to just pick one. So yes. for me, my top three are Latin cinema, horror, and the golden age of Hollywood. Oh my gosh, three excellent ones. Let's, let's focus on uh, Latin cinema. What are some of your favorites from there? Well, I guess uh, for some people who are not sure what Latin cinema is. It's a very diverse genre because Latin cinema is basically anything from either Latin America or it features Latino talent in a prominent role. So for example, movies like Amores Peros from Mexico, that's Latin cinema, but also West Side Story, even though it's American film, and even La Strada, the Italian film, which features Anthony Quinn is categorized as Latin cinema, even though it's also Italian cinema, because Anthony Quinn is Mexican. What about personally? What are some of your favorites from there? Well, uh, West Side Story. Uh, okay. That's one. Uh, Amores right. Perros. Nice. Uh, what I also really like are, there's a musical called Zoot Suit, which mm-hmm. is actually from the same uh, director as uh, La Bamba, <laughs> it was actually the Zoot Suit is about Zoot Suit culture 
in uh, East LA in the 1940s, uh, and it's a, uh, I guess you could say, a fictional interpretation of a real murder trial that happened at that time period. So that's a, a movie I've always really appreciated, and another one that usually doesn't get categorized uh, because the leads are Caucasian, but the movie Giant has a significant role in the image of Latinos on cinema, excuse me, in cinema in this country. Oh, interesting. You're talking about the James Dean one, right? Mm -hmm. James Dean, Elizabeth Taylor, because that was the first major uh, American movie by major studio that addressed uh, racism against uh, Latinos, in this case, Mexicans. Oh, very cool. Um, Yeah, I love that. I love that idea of genre, actually. Uh, So I recently moved, but before that, I spent the quarantine taking care of my grandmother, who is, uh, she's Mexican from Mexico. And I've seen more uh, Latin cinema than ever in my life. (laughs) And some highlights uh, are, uh, I don't think uh, Cria Cuervos counts. I think that's Spanish. Um, But Canoa was an excellent one. Um, Mm -hmm. Very terrifying. Uh, the Executioner, although that may also be Spanish. Um, but the best thing was there was a channel that she had on that stopped playing in Los Angeles, unfortunately, called Nuestra Vision. Um, and one, she always had it kind of on in the background when her novelas weren't on. And one of the uh, movies that came on, it, it, was, it's, it was starring um, a Japanese man. And she was like, look, this guy was really popular in Mexico for a while. And I was watching it. And it hit me. I mean, I was like, oh, my God, I know this man. This is Toshiro Mifune, you know, the biggest Japanese actor of all time, just one of the coolest dudes in the world. And it blew my mind that I was watching this Spanish movie um, with him in it. And apparently, you know, he'd come over to Mexico to film there. Do you know the movie I'm talking about, Justina? I haven't seen that movie yet, but I know that that that, that actor had a big history in uh, Latin American cinema. Yeah, it's such a cool like crossover I never would have expected. Um, and the movie is really good. Apparently, he did speak Spanish for the role, but they dubbed over it in that particular movie. Um, I forgot the title of it, but it was about him being a, sort of a landlord and getting a bunch of money and the downfall from that. Mm-hmm. Justina, um, your three favorite genres are... Uh... Latin cinema, horror, and golden age of Hollywood. Is there any movie that um, you really like that combines all three of those things? Ooh, that's tough. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of one that has all three. That would be like your I perfect would, movie. Yeah, it's, well, actually, now that it's not exactly Hollywood, but it came out during that time period, El Vampiro which is a very significant horror movie from uh, Mexico. That film is very often uh, cited as the first time that a vampire shows his fangs. Ooh, interesting. So it's it comes from that classic time period because it obviously mimics uh, Dracula from 1931, the Bela Lugosi interpretation, mm-hmm. but it's based in Mexico. It's based in uh, I guess you could say that they incorporate uh, Latin American culture or Mexican culture in this case with the vampire story nice. that's awesome uh, yeah well yeah. So, I mean as you know we're talking creature features 
on this series and you've gotten a little bit into it, but uh, what's your history with creature features on film? Uh, you're the first guest on this series. We're very excited about this one. Uh, do you have any other favorites? They don't have to be uh, Latin, Latin cinema or anything. It could just be general favorites of creature features. Well, my history with this, actually, I can thank my mother for this because as a child, she would play constantly the classic universal monster films, uh, especially during Halloween. And I also remember for when I was little, that uh, Jack in the Box used to do this with their kids meals is around Halloween you could buy a bucket and on the bucket it would have the universal monsters and they would even give little toys of the universal monsters and I had all of them the wolfman the bride the creature anything that they had I had and unfortunately I lost it over time but I always had this uh, attachment to the monsters because of that um, yeah, that's why I go to Jack in the Box, too, to get the uh, toys. <laughs> <laughs> right, at 3 a.m. every morning. Yeah, um, that's why I have so many charges on my credit card to Jack in the Box. I wanted to catch them all. <laughs> uh, actually, you know, I have a quick question. Trevor, what's your favorite uh, uh, from Latin cinema? My favorite from Latin cinema? Yeah. Um, I mean, I know I know that um, Justina had already dropped an Inaritu joint on us, but... Yeah. Oh, give me a second. You can edit out the, 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 you can edit out the, what do you call it? The dead air here, I guess. But Trevor, I know you're a big fan of Robert Rodriguez and he would count. Yeah. I, I don't like the early Speaking Robert Rodriguez joints too much. Yeah. Yeah. I name his most Hollywood movie. Um, I don't I mean, I mean, I guess my go-to is always, I, I really like Itu Mama Tambien a lot. And I actually just rewatched that again recently. And, it's this weird thing because I saw a meme online about like uh, people saying like, hey, did you see that meme when people are saying like getting your second vaccine dose doesn't mean you can blank? And then they would and then they would say extremely uh, specific examples for movies. I saw one that said like you, getting your second uh, COVID vaccine doesn't mean you can go on a, a road trip across the Mexican uh, uh, countryside and uh, with your best friend and meet a woman. And then it was like exactly the plot to E.T. Mamatami and that cracked me up. Um, <laughs> but that's like my, my go-to. And it's really, it's really interesting because we played E.T. Mamatami in twice at the theater and it hasn't done well. Um, but I, I think like an early Guadalajara like that would probably be uh, my favorite. Um, definitely. And I actually just watched uh, the day of the beast. Uh, is that, would that count as Latin? Uh, that's uh, Spanish. Cinema? Spanish. See, I get so caught up on the, a lot of Spanish productions like Adam did. Well, Spain um, has a huge influence in Mexico and how they film. If you look at movies of Del Toro, many of his actors are from Spain. Yeah, so that's where we get a little crossed up is because we were talking about uh, Pan's Labyrinth on the last episode as well as um, uh, Devil's Backbone. The, the, those are Mexican productions. They're just about Spain uh, things, right? Or am I wrong? Right. Yeah, no, you're yeah. right. So then definitely my favorite uh, would be uh, The Devil's Backbone then. But, you know, that's about the Spanish – that's about the – I believe the Spanish Civil War mm -hmm. um, as, as is Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> yeah, that's a great area when it comes to uh, Latin cinema because there is a lot of crossing, whether it's with uh, America or with Europe, is that you'll see that uh, constantly happening. A movie that could even count as – Latin cinema, even though it's from Italy, would be like Cannibal Holocaust. I know that sounds a little odd to some people, or even Little Monsters with uh, Lupita Nyong'o. Mm -hmm. uh, she identifies as Mexican, so that would act because she was born in Mexico. So that would actually fall under that category. 
Hmm. Yeah, that that's uh, I know Adam was trying to get me on a gotcha there, I think, but um <laughs> I, I really do um I lean horror, of course, on this podcast, and we're actually just now getting to our first horror light genre on the show. Uh, I, I think, at least uh, sorry. And and then also, I mean, before we get out of that, I think Bunuel is also kind of famous for going back and forth, right? I think uh Vidiranda, what is that movie? Speaking of, can you do the can can? Yeah, yeah. Well, that movie we watched, that one, the uh, the old Palm Dior. Yeah, he, he would he he would go back and forth between Mexican productions and Spanish productions. Yeah, and I believe that one is was filmed in Mexico because I, I know my my grandma was a, a big fan of that one specifically. Yeah, I mean, like before Adam rudely interrupted me, I was saying that uh, <laughs> I do like um, I do like a lot horror. So of course, when you asked me what my favorite uh, my favorite thing from Latin cinema would be, it's it's got to be like a the Devil's Backbone or El Ofrenado is great. Or I, I said uh, Dave the Beast, but you said that that wasn't. So, um, yeah, Santa I, I always Sangre. lean horror. Santa Sangre, I, I, I do like, but I wouldn't be uh, like amongst my favorites, I don't think. Right. Uh, yeah, you got you to gotta watch Kanoa. I think you'd really like it. Yeah, I love it. I, I love when we do an episode and we're supposed to be talking about like Creature of the Black Lagoon and I'm actually just learning more about like another genre. Let's get into it. The movie that Justina brought on, um, a classic that I, uh, I I talked about in the intro episode, but I didn't expect to see, and I'm glad we did. Uh, 1954's Creature from the Black Lagoon, directed by Jack Arnold. Uh, the tagline is, from the Amazon's forbidden depths came the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, and it's about a scientific expedition searching for fossils along the Amazon River, where it is discovered a prehistoric gill man... In le- lives in the legendary Black Lagoon. The explorers capture the mysterious creature, but it breaks free. The Gill Man returns to kidnap Lovely Kay, fiance of one of the expedition, with whom it has fallen in love. I can tell you something about this place. My boys call it the Black Lagoon, the paradise. <laughs> Only they say nobody has ever come back to prove it. <laughs> a very romantic film, obviously, a gigantic. Um, influence on a recent Best Picture winner, but I'm sure we'll get into that. Speaking of Latin cinema. Yeah, speaking of Guillermo del Toro, I was just thinking that this is actually going to come nicely full circle. Trevor, do we have any Letterboxd reviews? We do. Letterboxd reviews. I like to start with our uh, our listeners and friends, of course. So, friend of the show, Becca Lise, gives uh, Creature from Black Lagoon a three and a half star rating, saying... Creepy ass fish monsters, so freaky looking. Uh, so yeah, three and a half stars from Becca Lee's there. Four stars from listener Antonio. Uh, Antonio says, "Loved the underwater scenes. The amphibian man was so scary here. Oh my god, the shape of water could never." Uh, I I don't know exactly what that means, but oh, you don't know what it means when the kids say that something could never. I I, I don't know. Well, we're gonna get into it, but I think uh, I mean. Spoiler alert, I'm not a fan of either movie. Oh, okay. Interesting, interesting. You might be along the lines of uh, listener Steve G here on Letterboxd who gives it one star and says, Creature from the Black Lagoon is boring as hell. The monster looks fucking stupid, and this being made in 1954 is no excuse either. The cast is rubbish, and director Jack Arnold seems more interested in saying, Hey, look, I can film underwater. Let's have another ten minutes of stuff underwater. Ooh, wow. Yeah, Steve, Steve, G, this... Steve the OG. Because uh, I'm in a similar <laughs> oh, camp. Boy. I cannot wait for you to try and explain why you didn't like this movie. But, uh, Justina, um, let's start with you. What's your history with this movie? Why bring this film onto our uh, prestigious podcast? This is actually 
probably my favorite monster. With, without Justina, a doubt. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. This and Bride of Frankenstein are my two favorite of the Universal Monster movies. Well, for me, I, I know that uh, Frankenstein would count as a monster, technically speaking, as well as a vampire or a werewolf. But for me, I categorize creatures as the other. So maybe something like gremlins or predator. It's something different. So for me, I always saw the creature, whatever I thought of a creature, it's... I guess they call him the Gill Man in the movie. So the Gill Man is how I'm going to refer to him. Demon, eh? Well, that's no more far-fetched than your Gill Man. There are many strange legends in the Amazon. Even I, Lucas, have heard the legend of a man-fish. Was always my point of reference for monsters. And that's where, I don't know, for me, he just seems to be the most sympathetic out of all of the universal characters. That and the uh, the bride, obviously, she's only on screen for what five minutes, but yeah. uh, for for me, I always felt a connection with the creature. When I was younger, I did a lot of swimming, so I guess that was a way for me to connect to the creature. Mm-hmm. But it's just there was something so different about the Black Lagoon versus the other films. The other films tend to have a gothic feel to it. They had their own uh, style. You could see the German expressionism in those films whereas with black lagoon it did represent to me what was going on in america at that time you know we were becoming more uh scientific we saw the rise of you know science fiction but also people's fears of what could happen uh, as we saw with you know japan uh, with the atomic bombs you know what could happen to the environment we started to see more of an awareness of that which obviously blossomed into the uh, to the advocacy for the environment in the 60s but it was su- mm-hmm. such a unique period yeah this is an interesting case of a lot of people when they think of creature from luck when they i think they might um lump it in with like the 30s monster movies or even the 40s monster movies this one came out a little bit later 1954 which is interesting because we're going to be doing another movie in this series them uh, the movie's called Them! Exclamation point. And that came out in 1954 as well. So I'm excited because this series lets us get a little more retro than we've been doing lately. We've done um, Revenge and Space Opera. And those have been mostly contemporary films. So, Adam, you know I pulled the candles out. You know I lit them up. And you know I was really, really enjoying watching a movie from the 50s. Um, and and, and I, I will get to you in a second, uh, my co-host. But I do want to say <laughs> that... I, 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 yeah, this one's from the 50s, and it, like you mentioned, Justina, it's this nice precursor to like the um, atomic age of the monster movies, uh, how it, it is a precautionary tale that's also an interesting love story, has some um, incredible, as Steve G said, underwater photography. Um, great handwork, Adam. Just great handwork. Like when that, when that, when you see that hand. I get that review a lot. <laughs> but um great handwork like of, of the hand coming out of the ocean or out of the the ocean sorry the lagoon uh that that was my favorite stuff actually when we didn't see the full monster and we just saw the, the slimy hand and adam i know you're a huge uh, slime fan you're kind of famous for that yeah i was a big nickelodeon guy yeah um and and you know this was the pre i mean this is the i, I kind of joked on letterbox that this was a huge influence on classics such as um, the Lost World, Jurassic Park, and Congo. Uh, but you, you do see it all here. Dog soldiers, um, uh, a predator, just so many uh, things Alien. take from this movie. A- Alien, of course, yeah. 
uh, just millions and millions of movies that um, took from this. Um, but we'll we'll get into it. We'll break it down a little bit more. Adam, let's hear your overall thoughts. You 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 sat down to watch this movie. You lit those candles. Mm-hmm. You purchased it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. You pr- oh how ironic! Uh, a movie taking place on the Amazon that you purchased <laughs> on Amazon. Yeah, surprising it wasn't free. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's talk about it. I mean, I didn't I didn't not enjoy it. Uh, I, I'm glad that I watched it and got it under my belt. Um, but you know, I'm the heel here. Oh wait, so you haven't seen this movie? What I I watched it, I know. But you you had before that you hadn't seen it. Oh yeah, I have. I yeah, exactly. I, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, the only monster movie I've actually seen um, is the Mummy. Oh wow! Whoa! Holy smokes! So okay, interesting. Yeah. So you tell us what do you think? Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely not impressed here. Unfortunately, um, whereas, you know, for something like the Mummy, and I assume uh, the other sort of uni- universal monster movies i think they they i do like that sort of gothic idea that that justina was talking about but i also like sort of the intention behind these things um and where i think the mummy had a very clear vision um i don't think the creature from the black lagoon is as clear as we give it credit for like you were saying this is kind of talking about you know the fears of of progressing in science and discovery and whatnot but i don't i think that's just sort of like a I did like the scientific side of this thing, but I think that that doesn't really have any weight on the uh, on the horror side of this movie. Like, I don't think whereas, you know, Godzilla is birthed from nuclear testing, you know, and everything like that. And is the response of of the nuclear bombs dropping. Um, It's not like the creature from the Black Lagoon was was spawned by anything. He's sort of existed in that area. And then it's us. If anything, it could be. It's almost it, like you said, environmentalism, like what we're doing to the environment. But but it's not like they're blowing up mountains or anything really to get to the creature or that releases the creature. You know, they're so poisoning don't... the water, and that has a huge impact on the environment. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but for no, example, no, no. when they're dropping the the powder, you're yeah. killing all these fish. And you have you think about the environmental consequences of these people going into the lagoon to try to get this creature is they're using all this poison powder. What kind of influence is that having on not just the fish that they're killing, but how much of that poison is contaminating the water, uh, screwing up the ecosystem, hurting the plants? And what happens if that water is tainted, you know, the local uh, people who consume it, what happens to them or the, let's say, uh, some kind of animal, four-legged animal on land drinks that water. So right. yeah. there is but, but, that kind of influence. But Justina, think... I'm, I'm glad you got Adam first because I was going to get Adam too. I was going to no, say, no. They, they come into his home, uh-huh. they poison his water, uh-huh. they shoot him with harpoons, uh-huh. but they, they, you know what? You know what, Adam? You know what they can't take from him? Go ahead. They couldn't take away his love. Yeah, you, no, I actually I disagree with both of you. I think um, I think that's way more credit that we're giving the movie than the movie actually has within it. I don't think it actually says anything bad about those things. In fact, it strictly um, makes a point of saying that the the poison that it's using only knocks out the fish. You know, it only lasts a few hours before the fish go back to sleep. It, it doesn't right. ever say like, what are we doing to the plants here? Or like, look at all this debris from past fishing experiences. You know, it never goes into actually being environmental. 
That's just what we're assigning it. So you, 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 yeah. So you're saying we're assigning those thoughts onto the movie that Jack Arnold didn't set out to make a mo- an environmentalist uh, monster movie. Absolutely. Well, I mean, this yeah. is this is this is documented that he did. Go, but but well, how would you get that from the movie? Well, for example, <laughs> oh, um, here's an early example is when we see Kay on the boat and she's smoking and then you just see her flick her cigarette in the water. Right, right. You know, back at that time, people did that and didn't think about it. But obviously now uh, we see there's the, you know, pre-1960s environmental movement and post. So we obviously live in the post. So we're more aware of these things. And, you know, when we look back at older movies, there are certain things that have happened historically that we grew up learning about in our classrooms learning mm-hmm. from our parents our grandparents so when we look back at it it's easier for us to spot that versus maybe if you were a, a 10 year old kid at the time watching the black lagoon seeing that cigarette being flicked you just go oh that's what my mom does at the grocery store you don't <laughs> think about it until after the fact so i think for us we have that benefit of all this history you know because the movie was made over 65 years ago so we have that knowledge and we have that better understanding. So I do believe, in my opinion, there are subtle hints of uh, environmentalism because we saw this in uh, a lot of these sci-fi movies, not just this one, but like uh, them of uh, just, was it uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Just so many different mm-hmm. sci-fi films brought up, not just the the environment, but how people impact it and so even though the creature already was prehistoric he already existed it was how people were tampering with the environment uh, to get to him you know you have david and mark are two completely different uh, people in regards to how they uh, i guess how we could say this how they treat uh, exploring and trying to find the creature one wants to see him in his natural habitat which is david he's taking more i guess you could say ethical approach to scientific research and then mark who just doesn't care who would rather kill him and destroy as much as possible in order to get him and go look uh, here's this trophy we made this big discovery right but i i still think like like i, I agree with what you're saying actually when I, I remember that scene specifically where she tosses the cigarette um and I was thinking like that, that is what kind of put it into my mind, like the environmental aspect. But there is literally no repercussion within the film from that moment. Um, I'm, I don't want to give this movie credit for things that I've learned, you know, nowadays and then putting it back because then we could just do the same thing for being like, oh, look at how uh, misogynistic this movie was. Like it really taught us a lot about being misogynist. Uh, it didn't. It just had that a... within it. Sorry, this is interesting because it, it comes back to this like, 30s versus 50s things people watch this movie and don't realize it's from the 50s which i I consider to be a modern movie um you know king kong is a movie that you could um put a lot of like um thought into in terms of like oh it's about like like colonization and uh, Mm -hmm. these people going to this it's like actually no your argument for that adam if you were to throw that same argument on on king kong i would be like you're right. Honestly, in the 30s, they weren't taking any of that. It was just a movie about them going to. And I, like all these metaphors and stuff like that work really well in retrospect. Uh, the really problematic metaphors in King Kong uh, are true. Uh, but the, the, the other things that people try to put onto it uh, are definitely it, it, like we've had almost 100 years to build our theories on that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I, I see where you're coming from. I, I see where you think that 
they didn't set out to make this movie. Um, but I, I do think that like the movies that surround Creature from the Black Lagoon definitely uh, are doing that. So I suppose I just kind of gave this one the credit for doing it. But there, there are many, many examples of the movie attempting, I think, thematically to link them itself to um, uh, making, you know, this point about these colonizers coming into the Amazon. and uh, But the thing that really kind of confuses me is that I don't know if you noticed this, but the creature only kills the indigenous characters. Mm-hmm. Like, did anyone that 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 kind of that kind of messes with the metaphor, doesn't it? Or or does it work perfectly with the metaphor? These people come in, they poison the water, they create this creature, right? And then the creature that that lives. Oh, you're in... you're still giving it too much of a narrative. They don't poison their water that creates a creature. The creature has already existed. Right, but you but you you have to think that the creature is. But it agitates from... him. It's something that because we see him. Remember, as the humans are trying to leave on the boat, he builds that. I would guess, for lack of a better description, the beaver dam to block right. them in. So right. you know, this is these are people coming into the environment, uh, wrecking it, and then he reacts. So right. that's pretty much the story there. And you know, as you mentioned, you know, some people add more. I, I see more with that. I have a social science background, mm-hmm. uh, sociology and cultural anthropology. And so, when I see this movie, that's what I interpret. Um, I get that. For me, yeah, because you know the the issues of scientific ethics come up, and I do see that with the characters fighting back and forth. Mm-hmm. on how they want to deal with uh, the creature. Mm-hmm. But also, uh, you brought up the mummy. Uh, and what I noticed is that this movie does, to me, have a lot in common with the mummy in terms of this uh, creature is arisen because people are tampering with his home and uh, how he wants the girl. And at the same time, how the other members of the party are trying to stop him. So right. I feel like it, in many ways, it's basically the mummy for the 50s. <laughs> right. I think I think it's just it's on them for not doing good enough a job. I know that's an intense thing to say, but like look at a movie like this came out significantly after, but like Fitzcarraldo, right, where they demolish a mountain in search of like getting to the other side of the river. Like that's something that I can easily equate to like they're wrecking the environment. I don't think at one point they even like chop down a single tree in this movie and like you said the, the most that they do is poison the water what the origin of this of the creature from the black lagoon is that they just discover uh, another hand in the mountain and they take that and then that sort of the the creature's like wait a minute uh, that i don't know it had some relationship to that hand so you're just saying that this movie was a little too cute for you you would have you would have liked <laughs> you would have liked it to be a little more hardcore well, no, it, I just it, don't want to give it too much credit here. Yeah. I, I, I have trouble understanding. You know, I, I, I like the uh, Universal Monster movie idea, but like this movie, I don't think was especially remarkable in any way, at least to mm-hmm. me, who was seeing it uh, new and was trying to see it, you know, without any uh, uh, prior biases. Like right. good movies existed. Citizen Kane came out way before this. And it makes me think of now what's going to be popular in the future, what's going to go down as like a legendary picture you know, versus what is actually a fantastic movie. Yeah, I, I um I do I do think that this is a horrific take, but I, I, I do I, I do I do appreciate you coming on the show and being a heel against Creature from the Black Lagoon because 
I don't, I, I don't entirely disagree with you that they could have taken, like, if that was actually their stance, they could have been a little more heavy-handed, I suppose, with the metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know what I would really like? I would like a Lee Whannell type Invisible Man remake of Creature from Black Lagoon, mm-hmm. something that does take a, a very intense environmentalist stance. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that'd and be great. And b- build on the legacy of this movie, but... Um, no more arguing. Let's get into it. Let's talk about just <laughs> stuff we like. Justina, typically on the show, we talk about stuff we like. Yeah, go ahead, Adam. Trevor, before you get into it, I think we should touch on the fact that uh, he does only kill the indigenous people. He kills the, that yeah. camp of people, and then he also kills, uh, I, I think they're, I'm not ex- exactly sure the ethnicity of the crewmates and the captain. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably Brazilian, right? Yeah, I think this is an interesting thing that I wrote down was like, how come the creature only kills the indigenous characters? He killed Mark, uh, the blonde guy that was trying to kill him. He killed him and then he brutally injured uh, the, oh, I forgot the name of that other scientist. He brutally, you know, the one that he scratches up his face and he's heavily bandaged in the boat. I forgot that character's name. But we could chalk some of those up to self-defense. I mean, he, he goes... That tent scene, which is the best scene in the movie, definitely the scariest scene in the movie, he, he fully goes after those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, it is it is strange. And I also, you know, on the other side of the coin here for that argument, um, what's weird is how strong he is on land, but how much of a coward he is underwater, which is probably <laughs> where he's even stronger, right? I would argue as a fish man who's lived there for so long. A gill man, please. A gill man. Yeah, I mean, look, when when they go, when the two uh, dudes go down to look at him, he's like running away. He can't handle it. He, he, at one point, he's even right behind them, and he doesn't go for him. And I'm thinking, like, what, what, what are your power levels here, dude? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's just solely based on the fact that it's all practical effects and that he can't really be actually that powerful underwater, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We didn't come here to fight with monsters. We're not equipped for it. We came here to find fossils. But let's just let's let's talk about let's break it down stuff that we like. I mean, I I, I wrote a bunch of stuff that I really liked. Um, a svelte eighty minutes on this baby. Turn yeah. it on. It's it is one hour and nineteen minutes long. That's why I love the Universal monster movies. Um, yeah, it had a good uh, good length to it. I, I I never felt bored. It was kind of just moving through it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the best. So we like that's why at the the drive-in we just did a triple feature of monster movies because you can just you can consume them because they're so short. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned earlier, the first time we get a hint of the creature, the hand that comes out, and we have that awesome motif that plays every time we see the creature. That motif that just yeah. like blares, you know. Oh, that Harry um, Mancini motif. Yeah, it's the, it's the best. It's so iconic. And, um, it, it, yeah, just slimy, realistic hand. Immediately, it had been a little bit side scene this movie. And I was like, that looks really good. Like, to me, that looks really, really good. Uh, again, great hand work, I have to say. Thank um, you. Uh, yeah. Um, the tent attack, I wrote down. Uh, most intense scene of the movie. Extremely intense for a movie from the 50s. And um, that, that horrible yell that the creature does, uh, the gill man does mm-hmm. when we, we were outside of the tent, reminded me a lot of Predator, the noise that Predator makes. Uh, I thought exactly. that was super, super intense. Mm-hmm. And um, I just want to say that my favorite shot of the movie is the tracking shot of all the guys on the boat waiting with the guns and, and listening in the forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, extremely well done. We, we, we've seen that done in, like I mentioned, anything from Jurassic Park to Congo to 
dog soldiers, just that slow tracking while everyone is looking up into the forest, just waiting to see or hear the monster. I thought that was fantastic. Before you guys start talking about what you liked, I just want to say that we had a screening, Horrible Imaginings Film Festival put on a screening of this at the, the Frida a couple of years ago. And we had uh, Mallory O'Mara out, um, of course, from the Reading Glasses podcast. And she had writ just written a book that I'm looking at on my shelf right now called Lady from the Black Lagoon. Uh, of course, about uh, Millicent Patrick, who actually created the design of the of the creature. Uh, Justine, I'm sure you, we were, you were going to get to this eventually. but um, I was there, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was really, really, really interesting. And she, she's awesome. And um, I, that, that gave me a huge appreciation for this movie if I didn't already have it. But uh, Adam, I don't know if you know this, but... Bud Westmore, who was the head of the Universal Makeup Department, he got full credit for the creature's design, which um, you can tell me what you think of the creature's design. But I think it's just like just fantastic. Uh, and uh, it, Melissa, Melissa and Patrick actually did do the creation of the design for that creature, didn't get any um, credit. So that was what the whole idea was between um, uh, Mallory's book is, is actually giving the credit to Melissa and Patrick, which uh, obviously she fully deserves. But what do we like about this movie, Justina? Like kind of just general swaths. Well, what I always liked about it was how the creature to me was never scary. He To me, he just felt like a very sympathetic monster that he was trying to defend his home. He was trying to preserve what was left of his life. We don't really know his story in the sense that we don't know how long he's existed. We know he's, I guess, this missing link between nature and humans, but we don't really know about him. So I like how that's mysterious, uh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm nosy and I want to know. <laughs> but I like how he's this very sympathetic monster that just wants to save his home but also what a scene that I absolutely love is the swimming scene with Kay and the, and the gill man. When you see Kay swimming above the water and she's doing her, you know, swimming under the water on top of the, on top of the water and you see the creature just underneath her. And yeah, it's this so unique that, little dance. That's what won Guillermo del Toro a Best Picture Oscar. I feel like that that yeah. that imagery in that moment, um, I have to think is the birth of The Shape of Water. Absolutely. And that kind of made me upset, actually, for how like obvious the idea seems. You know, like it, it, after seeing that scene specifically, I mean, obviously we have Shape of Water now. But after seeing that scene, I'm like, oh, come on. It's like they wrote down, hey, do a love story between fish man and woman. Um, hey, listen, if you uh, if it was so obvious, you, maybe you should have beat GDT to the punch, buddy. Yeah, I wish I could have. Um... Sorry, Justina, go on. Well, no, um, I. it's funny that you say that because there was, what was it? Uh, Eli Roth's History of Horror actually brought that up where they were talking about how Del Toro saw this movie as a small child and was upset that the monster didn't get the girl. So that was kind of a dream of his that the monster could get the girl and right. historically for years they've been talking about uh, revamping or having a new version of Creature from the Black Lagoon and one of the people considered was Del Toro but they turned down his idea of the gill man getting the girl which eventually did become uh, his Oscar winning movie so it's right. just interesting to see that he could have been the director for the new interpretation. And they've been talking about this for years, especially after 
the Mummy remake of 99, how successful that was, uh, the, the creature has just been kind of, for, for lack of a better description, floating around. Right. Um, <laughs> um, well, I actually literally wrote a spec. I started writing a spec script after I saw The Invisible Man. I, I wrote a bunch of scripts in 2020 during the pandemic, and uh, I started one just called The Creature. Because I was like, if Lee Winnell can do this new version of Invisible Man, it's like I could do it, you know. And I, I wrote, I started writing it, and I was like, I stopped writing it because I had other scripts I was working on. But I was like, someone could really make a very good hardcore horror uh, environmentalist. Um, what do they call? It? They call it eco horror uh, version of this movie, and I, I would love to watch it. But yeah. Adam, sorry. No, that would be sweet. I, th- I think that's ha- the route they have to go with it. That's the sort of uniqueness of the creature of the black lagoon that I don't even think this movie touched on the eco side. Um, but, uh, <laughs> God damn you, <laughs> you know, to be fair to del Toro too, it's not like it's a, a crazy wild idea. You know, it depends on, on the movie making and how well you take that idea and run with it. Uh, that being said, I don't like that movie either. So, um, I, I do, I do want to real quick, sorry to butt in, but, um, I do disagree with Justine on one point that she made and that's that, I do think that the creature is scary. <laughs> like, like, um, uh, uh, I, uh, oh, sorry, a tangent. I love the cave, by the way, the cave finale. I think that's such so cool, and I wish we had spent more time in there. Mm-hmm. But then maybe that would have um, given the creature a little bit too much sympathy, seeing where he lived the whole time. But um, I think that – so remember Steve G from the beginning of the episode, Adam? He had a, uh, a British flag next to his name when he led, left that one-star review. Uh-oh. And, uh, yeah, you know how I feel about the Brits on this Canceled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I this is how I feel about the monster. For, for I took a moment in my brain and I thought, if I was swimming in the water and I saw that monster, I said, I bet anything if Steve, if Steve G was swimming in a lake or a lagoon and saw that monster <laughs> down there, he bloody shit his pants, in it? <laughs> right. Oh, uh, he'd throw up his breakfast. Yeah, that, that Steve G. Steve um, G. Yeah, you know, I'm actually kind of between uh, the two of you on that opinion here. I also, I did feel at times he was scary and at times he was sympathetic. Uh, I really did like the design of the creature. Um, And I liked him, you know, when he's hiding in the seaweed looking around, I felt pity for him because I wanted him to be okay. It does seem like, you know, if if they hadn't gone down there, everything would have been fine. And at the same time, my favorite scene maybe is when uh, when he's, uh, they, they, get him drunk for the first time and he sort of like walks up into that uh cove area mm-hmm. and he's just standing there and they shine the spotlight on him like that is actually pretty creepy yeah that was a scary moment i really liked he was it. like hey man you got any more of that <laughs> yeah. yeah it was great you know and his eyes and everything throughout the film um yeah. i would I, I would actually really like to see a modern take on this movie yeah, um, I would too. I, I actually I forgot to mention of all the names of the movies that I've dropped. Like, of course, this had a huge influence on Jaws. Like, there's so much Jaws in here. I, I can't believe I didn't say that. But um, a movie that a lot of people consider to be the greatest movie of all time definitely bit from Creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. Well, Spielberg was a monster kid. If you think about it, he liked these movies. He loved Universal, so it's not surprising to see those influences in his work not just jaws but if you look at et it just feels like there's so much of his work you can trace back to the universal monsters totally any uh, all that underground underground sorry underwater uh, cinematography was just so like especially the stuff looking up at k in the water swimming in the water was just so jaws to me and i was like oh yeah 100 percent. this is where he got it 
yeah that exactly. stuff all looked good and and yeah you know actually i really did like the uh that sort of like lover scene as they're swimming together i thought that looked excellent uh, i wish they kind of did develop that a little bit more back then because it i i do think i, I don't really know where it goes like he seems obsessed with her for some reason uh, there's not really a strong reason for it um, and then at the end he kind of does get his hands on her and then he leaves her at the bed for a while you know to go do something else I don't know um, are you are you are you questioning why the creature would find Julie Adams interesting yes I am okay well we just established the creature does have eyes uh-huh Okay. Well, uh, yeah. I if if there had like... been a beautiful female dog on that boat, would he have been in love with it? <laughs> a, a, a beautiful bitch. <laughs> and I thought the Mississippi was something. Uh, this movie has 3.6 on Letterbox, which means that you're not alone, Adam. It's not this above four uh, golden echelon movie, but uh, Justina and I like it. But we all know that no ratings matter other than the rating system on the Ghost Party Radio podcast. Um, Justina, we're going to move to ratings now. Everything is 1 to 10. I know that you've been uh, lightly briefed on this, but there are four, five categories, I should say, and one bonus category. Spoiler. Sorry. I don't usually spoil that, Adam, but there is one There is one bonus category. Um, again, this is all just arbitrary stuff that we based on uh, the definition of creature feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if it doesn't fit the movie you picked – don't feel too bad, uh, although I think it should do pretty well here. But uh, 1 to 10, <laughs> Justina, starting out, how strong of a metaphor do you think the creature is in The Creature from the Black Lagoon? For me, I feel that I would go with about an 8 for me because he represents uh, not only uh, environmental issues, but I feel like he also represents... Uh, environmental exploitation and then the issue of scientific ethics so it's not that's what i think he represents okay very good uh adam i i'm i mean listening to all your barking this episode i i can't imagine this will be too high of a score for you i'm gonna <laughs> give it a 10 um no, what did just he just kidding. say okay um yeah, yeah justina i actually i i completely uh respect your opinion and appreciate that you uh I think you know more about this stuff than I do, so forgive me for my ignorance here. Um, but I am going to give it a two. Uh, I, personally, I didn't feel that it was strongly developed enough to really relate to anything. There's some semblance of the eco stuff, but I don't. I don't really think it's there. Uh, I believe this is a movie that is a product of its time. The '50s was a time when we looked back post WW two. And uh, started to take in what we were doing to the environment, uh, maybe even in um, foreign lands, according to America. I'm giving it a six. Uh, I don't think it's as blatant as it could be, but I think there's definitely something there. So I'm between the two of you. Um, Did category you say number... WWE two? No, I said I said I said WW two. Okay. Yeah, you know the old. Uh, uh, yeah, second yeah. category rampage points. Justina, um, how many points would you give this movie for the monster destroying stuff? Well, what I felt was that the humans were more destructive than Mm. the creature, Mm. in my opinion, because I go back to the poison uh, in the water because a little bit might knock out the fish, but a lot, you know, the fish could OD on that. We don't know what, you know, long-term consequences of a lot could be like for example with a cancer treatment some people get 
nuclear medicine. Some people get radiation and that kills the cancer. But in other situations, like in Japan, we saw a lot of people developing cancer. So yeah, a little bit might not have a lot of impact, but a lot could really destroy an environment. So I would, I tend to lean more towards, I would say like a seven. Mm-hmm. And I don't put that on the creature. I put that more so on the people because then they also had guns and weapons and things like that. Adam, I'm going to accept it because all it says here is rampage points. It does not say creature rampage points. Yeah, I'm, I'm open to that. Um, what do you think? Personally, I'm going to give it a one. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of credit being given there also. like We, we don't know much about the poison, but I think that... That, that really doesn't It's open help. to interpretation. Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, that doesn't help the idea, the eco idea that they, I guess, wanted to go for. Um, so at the most, the only thing that really gets hurt is the, is the gill man because um, the fish just get knocked out for a few hours. Uh, yeah, I'm giving it a four once again between the two of you. And I know it seems like it's easy for me to do that because I go third. But again, Adam, as you know, I do write these down ahead of time. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, he doesn't even really mess up that tent too much. He just kind of like goes in there and kills the guys and then just uh, – but uh, I'm taking into, into account that maybe the gill man doesn't cause that much havoc or do that much rampage uh, to the to the Amazon forest, but um, the people certainly do. So I'll, I'll, I'll give it a four. Right. How stupid slash annoying are the human characters and creature from the Black Lagoon? Well, I guess you could say I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle. Because they have to be smart, but they also have to be vulnerable or stupid in this case. So I would go with a five because they're half and half. Yeah, you know what? I, I would also actually probably give them a five because because there is that heavy conflict, right? Between sort of making a, a right choice. Uh, and No, I'm going to give it a seven. Um, because instead of uh, uh, what I would consider a smart move is that after we lock up the monster, why don't we keep sedating it? Just in case, instead of going that way, they're just like, well, let's see how well the bamboo holds, because it doesn't seem like there's even a lock or anything on that cage. The creature just sort of pushes it. So I'll I'll give it a seven for that that bonehead move. Um, I am a creature of context, and my context is that the last creature feature I watched was Godzilla vs. Kong. So compared to those extremely stupid and annoying human characters, I'm giving this a five. I'm going right down the middle. I'm with Justina on this one. But I did like your argument, Adam. Category number four, how cool is the monster's origin? There's not much really given on his origin, just he's a a prehistoric creature. So I would have liked more for myself. So I'm going to go with a four because you give him just enough of a background. Not a lot, just enough Mm -hmm. to basically skate by. Okay, Adam, I'm interested uh, to hear I, what you have to say about this. I really, I, I did like this, actually. I liked sort of the context, the, the uh, Tree of Life style uh, opening that they were going yes. for here. Um, and uh, the fact that it isn't really sort of born out of anything. Uh, right. So I, I'll give it a six. A six? Okay, I'm giving it a seven. Um, I think that there's something cool sometimes about the unknown, where it came from. I think it's cool that it was prehistoric. Uh, again, when we get a, a, a glimpse of the cave it lives in, I mean, I consider that an origin because that's where it came from. It comes from the Black Lagoon. It's iconic. I'm giving it a seven. Good point. Um, category number five, how sympathetic is this monster? I give him a – I would go with a nine 
because I always saw him as sympathetic. I never saw him as scary. Okay, Adam. Yeah, I I'll give him I'll give him a seven because I also feel I mean he he would have been okay I think had no one really gone around and and annoyed him. Yeah, but they did. That doesn't make him more sympathetic. <laughs> no, I think it does. I mean, if if a bunch of people came into my apartment right now and started like hassling me, and and locked me up, then uh, I would feel bad for me. I mean, you are you are the furthest thing from a sympathetic monster. <laughs> Thank you. I'm giving this a nine. I think this is one of the all time sympathetic monsters for sure. Um, e- even you, I mean, you can just see it on 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 the creature's face. It's it's it's, it's it's a humanoid. It's close enough to a human. Um, I can see why Del Toro fell in love and th- with the monster and thought that it just would make sense in his twisted mind that they would get together. Uh, it's a slam dunk. It's a nine for me. Well, if I can, if I can try to lower your two scores for a second here, um, <laughs> he does at one point get away, and then he's the one who traps the people and like goes for revenge and whatnot. So he does make that choice at, at some point in the movie. That is that is very true. He could have left. It, he could have let it go. That is why I'm not giving it a ten, Adam. Uh-huh. Well, that's why I give it a nine on my scale because, as you mentioned, he locked them in. So there's always that thing of well, if you don't, like you see in war, if you don't capture these guys, uh, you know what's to stop them from going and bringing more people okay that's a fair point yeah i like that yeah. i like that yeah that is good uh just you know we do have one final category i spoiled it earlier there's a bonus category is how big slash scary is the creature in this movie he's not scary to me at all i mean he's big <laughs> but he's just never been scary to me okay <laughs> well how would you quantify that uh one through ten well I mean, he is very tall, so I'll give him that, but he, <laughs> he, it's just not scary to me. So he, to me, he's kind of adorable. So um, uh, I guess a five in the sense that, yeah, he does have a height advantage over the other people, but just not scary to me. Uh, okay. Adam? Okay. So interesting, uh, J- Justina, as you say that he had, he is very tall, he has that height he is uh, six foot five, which happens to be the exact <laughs> same height as uh, one of the hosts here on the podcast. Adam, you're six foot five. I'm not. I'm six foot four, baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so he is pretty big then. Yeah, I mean, if 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 he is looking down at me, that's that's a tall man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I actually do think he's scary, just for the scene that I mentioned alone, where he stands up out of the water. Um, I'll give it a seven. I am also giving it a seven, Adam. I was saying earlier that uh, if I was swimming, I mean, I think this, I think that the ocean or water in general is very scary. If I was swimming and I saw this thing, oh man, I I would be so 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 scared. Uh, it's a solid seven for me, which uh, brings our scores all to Justina out of a, a possible fifty points. We don't count the ten, of course, for the bonus. You have given the creature from the Black Lagoon thirty nine. How do you feel about that score? Uh. It seems accurate. Yeah, it feels good. That's a good. That's a that's a good score. We don't have any uh, context for how the other creature features are going to score on this scale, but Adam, out of a potential fifty, you have given Creature from the Black Lagoon thirty. How do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, also seems accurate too. I I, yeah. I recognize the importance of this film too, I, 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 and I did enjoy watching it. I would never like one thing that I said is like I would never really 
uh, feel uh, comfortable with like this kind of movie getting like a riff tracks kind of thing. Like it was certainly not even close to that bad. It's just uh, didn't hit what I was hoping for. Well, this right movie on. is supposed to be entertaining first and foremost, and this was a 3D movie, and this was a period where uh, studios were trying to get people away from their televisions and in the t- into the theater. So you can see the spectacle aspect of Creature and where they would, uh, you know, let certain things slide story-wise or character-wise in order to keep it entertaining. Right. And, and I totally get that. And I, I bet seeing like a lot of these underwater sequences in 3D were very cool. Uh, but I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to defend uh, companies for, that are choosing profit over like the artistic merit. So. No, no, I, I totally agree with you on that. You can see it. Uh, but mm-hmm. again, I, I come from a background where this was a cherished part of my childhood. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's like Barney to me, like, oh, I love it. Right. Yeah. Actually, I like it more than Barney. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, like scary for sure. Right. <laughs> uh, on my scale, I have given it a 37 out of 50. Which, yeah, all these scores do feel good. I mean, Adam's being a bummer, but I did watch it. It's it's not it it it's it's almost like Justina said. It's almost 70 years old now. I didn't do that math, but it's almost 70 years old, and I think it holds up pretty well. Um, like I said, there actually are a few pretty um, um, scary scenes. I, I could see somebody being extremely scared by the tent scene. And the part where the guy's bandaged up and the hand comes through the boat. Um, but that gives it a total of 106 out of 150. Again, we have no context for how this will do. But I think that's a pretty strong start. Uh, it's definitely the the highest score we've given out in the past three regular episodes. It outscored Cowboy Bebop and Space Mutiny on completely different scales. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, how do you, how, what do you think about that, Adam? Where do you think this is going to be at the end of the day? I don't know. But you know what? I'm really glad that uh, Justina brought it on. Because as I said, when I hear Creature Feature, my mind did go to this movie and go to the iconic scene of him carrying uh, that woman, which I thought would be more prominent in the movie. It really only happens at the end. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that you brought this movie on too. When you texted me creature in the black balloon, I was like, yes, it gives me an excuse to revisit this movie, which I don't need an excuse to do, but I, I was very happy to do. Yeah. Um, Justina, you may or may not know that at the end of this series, we have something called the Outro to Creature Feature that we'll be giving away Silver Ghosty Awards at. And you might wonder why they're not called Golden Ghosties. Uh, why not the alliteration? Uh, it's a much better name, right? But it's because they're made of silver, so we can't call mm-hmm. them Golden Ghosties. Uh, right. And that would be the most in-depth and serious genre film award show in the whole dang world. Um, Adam, we have to announce what our awards are going to be. Are you ready to do that? No. Okay, so Adam's not quite ready yet, but Justina, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna say what my award is, and it'll give you an example for what uh, your namesake award will be. So, at the outro to Creature Feature, we'll be giving away the Trevor Dillon Award for Chonkiest Monster. What what do we think about that, Adam? I, I think it's a solid award. Uh, this guy, he did definitely have some meat on his bones, so we'll see. I don't think the creature from the Black Lagoon is going to win the award for Chonkiest Monster, but he might have a shot at Justina's award. Justina, what do you want to give away? The Justina Bonilla Award for? Uh, Best Underwater Sequences. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yes. Right on. I love that award. Um, just, just so you know, if you win this award, you do have to leave a voicemail on our outro episode to accept the award. So, uh, or, or any award that creature from the black lagoon, um, wins. That's the downside of bringing on such a good movie is that sometimes you have to <laughs> come back for the outro episode, but, uh, it won't take too much of your time. I promise. Right. 
But thank you for giving us any of your time. Uh, this was awesome. Thank you for coming on Ghost Party Radio. Do you have anything that you want to plug? This movie. <laughs> that people should revisit the classics when they get an opportunity. Uh, you know, Whether it's this film or any of the films from the 30s or even the 40s, like the Claudette Rains fan of the opera, I, as a fan of the golden age of Hollywood, I always encourage people if, uh, as you mentioned, movies like Jaws, movies like Predator, to look at the films that inspired that because that's a whole nother treasure trove of cinema just waiting to be discovered by contemporary audiences or to be uh, re-evaluated and re-cherished. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, you're being very modest, but I, I know that you are. <laughs> a, 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 you're being you're a writer of some of, of some note. Uh, do you have any um, anything you've worked on recently that you'd like people to check out? Oh my goodness! Uh, let's see, recent pieces that I've been working on. I'm trying to think back. I'm kind of uh, going blank here for a second, but I, on a weekly basis, release new articles, new interviews. So you could just follow me on Instagram. Uh, that's probably the best way, Justina underscore Bonilla. And I always post my uh, newest articles there. Uh, my uh, Twitter handle is all about a laugh. That's, that's right. I have that available. So those are the best places to follow me to see what I write. Awesome. Uh, Adam, any plugs? Really, really quick, Justina, I'm looking at your Instagram right now. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think, uh, I'm sure you have like a top 10 of 2020. Uh, films that came out, right? Films of 2020? Yeah, even if it's just kind of loose, I'm sure you kind of have an idea of what might go on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, where would, oh, my goodness. Would, uh, would We Can Be Heroes make it onto that list? I had a lot of fun watching that movie. Okay. It was just <laughs> it was just a sweet, fun movie, and sometimes that's what you need is just a sweet, fun film. Okay. Yeah, Adam, you could take a note from that. Like, I loved Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That would probably be my favorite movie of 2020. Nice. Uh, I just, I'm a fan of August Wilson plays. So to see another one being made into a movie with Viola Davis was awesome. And then obviously Chadwick Boseman. That was, to me, the epitome of his career. He left on a high note. And that was beautiful, especially the scene where he's yelling at God. Yeah. Oh my God! That it takes a whole different meaning knowing what happened to him. Yeah. So, you know, to me, 2020 is a, a mix between those sincere, very heartbreaking films to just needing a sweet laugh. Okay, right on. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat. Of course, uh, our friend Trevor here has not seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I have seen Ma. Well, where did you get that information? I have seen this film. I don't know. Like a month and a half ago, you told me you hadn't seen it. Yeah, I, I watched it. I saw it. Um, I, I yeah, I thought uh, I thought Chadwick Boseman was just like a force of nature. Good lord, yeah. acting in that movie just uh, to 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 what, what do they say in stage acting? You got to act to the to the to the cheap seats in the back, and he he definitely was. He really went for it. But mm-hmm. Adam, do you have any plugs you uh, you want to give out? Yeah, absolutely. Check out uh, We Can Be Heroes on Netflix, um, and also uh, check out uh, Projector Fuel on Instagram. And my website, Adam J.C. Wagner, for all the films I made. I guess that uh, We Can Be Heroes joke did not land. I have not seen it, so there's no ill will. Have you seen Freaky, though? No. That was really fun. It's just basically a love letter to 90s slashers uh, mixed with comedy. 
That's where Vince Vaughn uh, swa- oh. is plays like a serial killer, and he swaps bodies with a teenage girl. Right. It's Freaky Friday, uh, but a slasher. It's That's... really just a silly, fun movie. Homage to one of my favorite movies, Hot Chick. Uh, Ad- no, Adam's Adam's voice either, gets... huh? It's not one of my favorite. I never people. saw that movie. <laughs> I never Adam, saw Adam... that movie. I don't know. <laughs> Adam's voice gets so shaky when he bombs a joke, dude. Get used to it. You're on Ghost Party Radio, man. Like he expects the guest and his co-host to laugh at every half-assed joke he tells. Like, like I've never seen Hot Chick, so I wouldn't know. I have not seen yeah. it either, to be fair. Yeah, but it's like Adam. The listeners of this show are silent. Like, like they're either gonna laugh in their car, or there's gonna be dead air. Like it happens, man. <laughs> this guy, this guy is full on panicking while he's doing his plugs. Help! <laughs> yeah, there it is. Uh, Trevor, what about you? Uh, my plugs, as always, I'm on Letterboxd at Captain Dills, where I keep a running list of all of the films we've discussed on this show, uh, and I rank them in order of their genres and how they've scored on our scale. Personals are at Trevor Dills on Instagram and Twitter. And, and as always, follow us at Ghost Party Picks on all of their socials. Rate and review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. I'm really enjoying uh, the roasts we're getting through the reviews. So if you keep those coming, give us a little bit of content at the top of the show. You know we need it. Smash that follow button on Spotify. And Adam, there's a rumor going around. I want you to confirm it. Are we on Google Podcasts? Yes, and listeners would be happy to know that we actually have two subscribers now on oh. Google Podcasts. Oh, someone ruined it. Someone joined the party. Well, you know, we've been spending about, uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on advertising. So it's nice to see that <laughs> our numbers are going up. Yeah, awesome. We'll talk numbers very soon. But uh, one more time, just, you know, thank you so much for being on the show and giving up. Uh, this this was uh, this was one where we uh, we flubbed our way through a lot of it. So Justina had to uh, sit through a, a very long show that uh, Adam's going to have to edit down to <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, well, but... thank you for considering me and just having me on here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a great talk. I really appreciate you bringing this movie, Justina, and uh, opening my eyes. Our listeners are definitely going to see you as the hero and me as the villain here. <laughs> Yay, I'm the Gill Man. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or Gill Lady. <laughs> um, I think that pretty much does it. As you could tell from the past half hour, I'm hosting this episode. So let's get back to it as we close out this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Ghost Party Radio. Trevor, we have officially creatured the Black Lagoon. Bye. Bye. Mm, That's a 10.